This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Don't change that dial. It's time for Navigating the Newsroom. Here are your hosts, Andrew and Andrew. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to episode number 10 of Navigating the Newsroom with Andrew and Andrew. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Andrew Robinson. And this is the show on Film Geek Radio devoted exclusively to discussion and analysis of the HBO series, The Newsroom. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm doing fine, you know, just hanging out here in Trinidad, enjoying the fact that in a couple of weeks I'll, I'll, I'll be enjoying Toronto. Oh, that's right. Yes, we will both be going to the Toronto International Film Festival. Uh, I'm sure that's going to be lots of fun. Who knows? Maybe we will even find a way to podcast while we're up there. You think that might be a possibility? We'll find some time. We'll find some time. All right. Well, let's talk about this week's episode of The Newsroom. Its title is The Blackout Part 2 Mock Debate. It was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Alan Pohl. Andrew, what did you think of this week's episode? This was the conclusion to this, the, the, the quote-unquote two-parter. I'm not sure why it had to be divided up into two parts. I guess you could call the ending of last week's episode a cliffhanger. But uh, what did you think of this week's episode? So I'm going to do what I normally do, and I'm going to not answer your question for a moment because I want to talk about okay. something else entirely. Um, okay. This podcast, we've been enjoying doing it for the last um, two-plus months at this point. And we've been getting a lot of positive feedback about it, or at least I have. I'm, I'm not sure about you. I've been getting a lot of positive feedback about it. However, the other day, I decided to go and check our iTunes feed to go and see what people have been saying on the iTunes feed. And I noticed one particular review by the individual called Dr. JDB underscore 17. And at this point, we should just call him the guy who wants to kill Will McAvoy. Because his comment is, and I quote, While I believe that everyone is always entitled to their own opinions, I'm baffled as to why you would want to spend your valuable time and energy on a show that you clearly dislike. Since the first episode, the hosts have been so negative about this show and rarely have anything positive to say about it. That is really quite awful. You know, I'm going to stop right there. Dr. JDB. Um, I understand your problems. You don't enjoy people thinking about things. So I'd like to offer you the opportunity to step the fuck out. The door <laughs> is to your left. Just go. Wow. <laughs> a little harsh. A little harsh there. Come on, um, don't insult our listeners. I'm pretty sure he's not listening right now. If he's listening right now, I congratulate you, sir. You are more, more, what's the word? More determined than I was when I decided to go through David Lynch's filmography. And I got very far, but I didn't quite <laughs> make the finish line. Wow. Um, I congratulate you if you are still listening, sir. Um, well, 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 look, look. I think he has a point in that, particularly as this season has gone on, you and I have been pretty negative about certain aspects of the show. Um, I do think that we were a bit more positive about it when the season first began, 
and we, we, we had a lot of hopes as to where it could go, and it hasn't quite met those expectations. Um, but I, I do want to cl- clarify and state definitively, I don't hate everything about the show. There are things about the show that I do like, but because this is a podcast where we're diving pretty in-depth and trying to really analyze where the show is and isn't working, I feel like a lot of the time it's it's much easier to point out what isn't working. And I think sometimes it's more interesting to talk about why it's not working in, in, in those situations. You know, if, if both of us just sat here and we're like, oh, we like this and we like that and we like that, you know, sure, it would be a bit more positive, but I don't think it would be a very interesting discussion. Yeah. And I mean, that's the whole thing of the, of what we're doing is that we are, while saying what we like about this show might be a bit on the on the minority of the entire show, especially with a few episodes that we can definitely pick out and say that they were astronomically bad. Um, being critical of things like this, you're gonna you're gonna highlight the bad a lot more than you are gonna highlight the good. And I, I know I've been the more negative in the last few weeks, but there are still things I like about this show, and that's why I continue to watch it at this point. I don't know about you how much feedback you've got specifically about the show, Andrew, because we don't really talk about that. But to everyone still listening out there, because I do believe there is quite a few, because I do get some nice feedback. I want you all to go to the iTunes feed. I want you all to go and be honest. I'm not going to say go and give us all five stars, because I, 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 I definitely do not believe myself to be a five-star individual. I will, I will put myself down. I will not say the same about Andrew. He is a wonderful person. Go and, go and review the show. Go and say something about the show, and then... I'll either have more things to curse about next week or more things to be happy about. Come on, guys. You can do it. Yes, we do. We do love all the feedback. Um, And one last thing on this issue of being too negative. I think it's worth pointing out that we're not the only ones who have been a little bit negative on the show. I think most critics have had a very mixed reaction to the newsroom. And some critics have had extremely negative reactions to the show much and they have been much more vitriolic in their response than, than we have been um so i think that's worth pointing out but let, let's really dive in to the meat of the show andrew uh before we say what we thought of the episode why don't you give our listeners a brief recap of what happened okay so so this week in the newsroom we come back to acn completely out of power which as i've been told being someone who lives in a third world country that's unheard of in the states am i correct oh yeah never <laughs> never happens right because Not i come at from all. A, i come from a third world country that shit happens all the while so i'm used to it <laughs> right you guys you guys live in live in nice places you you guys have light all the while i mean oil yeah, is always yeah it, it's only it's only when it's 98 degrees you know <laughs> that the power starts to go out yeah, um, so we come back to, to the newsroom with the power still out, and Mackenzie truly believing that this was a sign from her god that she is meant to do the show that she wants to do, goes into the greatest speech you could ever think of. It's ready to lift up her, her newsroom in the way that Rudy lifts up a football team. And is then undercut by the power returning the moment that she's about to hit her crescendo and has the greatest tirade ever. That was God's plan. We got out of this and talked more about electricity. We do the show outside. 
Right in the plaza. How? Yeah. We can do this. What do we need? A desk? A, a camera? Some microphones? And a way to beam a signal into space? The grips take apart the anchor desk? And carry it down 25 flights? You bet your ass they do. We can use a single tripod-mounted handheld. We park a sat truck out there. That's right. Run the video and graphics through Washington. Yes. I'm in your sight line the whole time, in your ear, and standing next to camera. I'll have a laptop with a constant 90s connection. How do we get power to editors to run the avids? What did they do in Apollo 13? They shut down all the power in the command module and siphoned it into the LEM. I don't think that's going to work well, here. What would they have done if there was a hardware store in space? Buy a generator. We're going to buy two. One goes in an avid bay and the other stays downstairs. What time does the sun set tonight? 8.37. Why in the world would you know that? One of those things. We'll need HMIs with gels for the top half hour and incandescents for the bottom half. We need the NYPD for security and we need to trust each other. It is the, one of the weirdest moments that I don't know what to talk about. But moving on, we continue with the Anthony Weiner and the Casey Anthony discussions only to realize that they really want this mock debate so they finally get the opportunity to have in the what what word can i use for it i'm going to use the word agents agents for these candidates who they want to bring in for a mock debate and they put on the mock debate they show what the mock debate is um we get a look at that as well as finally the newsroom saying screw you head honchos i'm going to get rid of the casey anthony story because it's 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 kind of boring we also have a, a a small progression of the story of the man i will continue to call deep throat as jim continues to vet his his opportunity with the story and we have the last bit of the show where they decide to talk about relationshipy crap so Andrew, what did you think of this week's episode, and what did I miss? <laughs> I, I think you pretty much summed it up. Uh, the, the main thrust of this episode was that they did not end up getting the mock debate. So they basically sold out for nothing. I was a little bit disappointed by that. I mean, obviously, because the show is set in quote-unquote the real world, uh, I wasn't expecting them to get the debate because, obviously, this is a fictional news station, so they w- did not host the debate in real life. I th- do think it would have been pretty awesome if Sorkin had written it so they did get the debate, and maybe next season we actually saw the debate go down with uh, cer- with different actors portraying the different candidates, and we had this fictional, idealized version of what a real political debate could look like. That would have been fun, but we didn't get it. Even so, I actually really liked this episode overall. Uh, definitely more than I've liked the past couple episodes. And I think it, maybe it has something to do with, with what we were talking about with Chadwick last week. Chadwick said that, you know, when, once you lower your expectations for the newsroom, it becomes much more enjoyable. And I, I realized um, since we last recorded that basically the newsroom is a pretty typical sitcom, the likes of which you might find on ABC or NBC. It just has cursing, so it's on HBO. So I sat back and I thought, you know what, if I I just pretend while I'm watching this that this is an HBO show and HBO labels themselves as, quote, not TV, as as somehow better than your average TV, If if I just forget this is an HBO show... And imagine that it's just a, a, a typical broadcast sitcom. Will I enjoy it more? And the answer is yes, actually. 
I did enjoy it quite a bit more. First of all, while I do hold HBO in high regard generally for their television, I refuse to 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 believe that they are beyond fa- failure because I've seen John from Cincinnati. Okay, that's fair enough. I'm not saying that they they never fail. Just that you know when I think when when you watch an HBO show, you expect for them at least to be trying new things and for them to be doing stuff that you probably wouldn't be able to see on a typical broadcast or cable channel and that is not what we've really gotten with the newsroom have you seen true blood recently i have seen true blood i actually think season five is the best season the show has ever done but maybe i'm in the minority (laughs) i think we might need to end this podcast now uh you know, I talked about a door to the left. Where is it again? So, did did you not like this episode of the show? Um, I I was very mixed on this episode of the show. There were things I liked. There were things I didn't like. What was weirdly mixed on had to do a lot with the opening of the show with the, with the Mackenzie character. We've spoken repeatedly about Sorkin. Um, wanting to have his cake and eat it too when it comes to Mackenzie, in that he's created this character who he just seems to love to 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 not so not just make the butt of jokes, but also to have to be this ridiculous individual that will go into crazy moments. Because she starts out with, as I mentioned, this rousing speech that that's so cheesy and so corny and so, but it works. And then, not a second before she's ready to have everyone working at 120% and the newsroom creating this amazing miracle of a show with no electricity, the power comes back. And instead of it going like, um, I guess that's that, and we move on, she has to have a moment of go of cursing, going, fuck shitballs, and did this have to happen right now? Couldn't I have finished my speech? Couldn't I have gotten this to happen why did you tease me god why and it's it's a crazy ass moment and while i look at it and want to be hypercritical of it and say that this is a no-no sorkin like many of the moments that i should have said that to previously in the season it made me laugh hysterically I was I was with Sorkin in on the joke. It's almost like watching a comedian be a complete stereotype only to keep laughing at it. You get me, Andrew? I, I actually do. You know, back at near the beginning of the season, if I'm recalling correctly, you know, while I was looking at the show and taking it pretty seriously because the show seemed to take itself very seriously, you said that you looked at the show as more of a comedy. And... I've decided that I think that's probably the correct lens through which to look at the show. I I, I think if you look at the newsroom as a workplace comedy, uh, it's far more enjoyable, and a lot of the things that seem like flaws or errors in in judgment actually kind of fit within that uh, genre and are actually pretty appropriate. So I liked that moment with McKinsey at the beginning. I, I did think that there were some very uh, funny jokes. I mean, there's even that incredibly slapsticky moment where Will can't put his pants on. And... You, <laughs> I forgot about you, that. You know, it, it's just, it's pretty absurd. 
And I feel like moments like that would not be in a, a, a normal drama. And I really do think that perhaps Sorkin really does intend for the newsroom to be to be more of a comedy. I, I kind of liked that about the show. Once I stopped really thinking about it and, and taking it seriously and just accepting, yes, this is a this is a sitcom, this is a workplace comedy, you know, I probably shouldn't think too hard about it. It was much easier to overlook the flaws. Can you think of another one hour sitcom? Like a one hour comedy? Oh man, I'm I'm sure that they exist, but I, I I couldn't tell you one off the top of my head. I don't know. Can you? Not at all. Um, but anyways, otherwise, I guess I kind of liked this episode. There were there were lots of things going on. Um, lots of conclusions to what was happening last week. One which which one which I I think I just said which about five thousand times. One that I I was particularly interested in had to do with Neil and his quote-unquote trolling the internet um, and dealing with Sloan. Because while I found it kind of funny last week to deal with Sloan's reactions to what Neil wanted to do on the internet, um, to see how calm and collected she took it this week, I should really say this next hour... Um, it's kind of fun. It's it's kind of interesting to see how he goes in and he's like, I tried so hard to make them look at your breasts, but they wouldn't. They're too smart. Damn those PhDs. Right. It's 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 such a such a nice moment. Yeah, I th- I do kind of like how they're developing Neil and actually showing him going out pitching stories. You know, trying to uh, develop his career a bit more. And I like how at the end of this episode. Um, they're bringing back that whole element of the death threat that Will got earlier in the season. And uh, the impression we're, we're left with is that Neil has actually discovered who left that death threat. Um, so perhaps that will be revealed in the uh, the season finale next week. We'll have to see. Um, on a side note, on a complete side note, dealing with that that that, that discovery, um, at the end when he when he finds that out, he immediately calls um, Terry Crews, and I don't know if you did this, but I actually went and I saw The Expendables two this weekend, so I only imagine that The Expendables two is now the story of Terry Crews going to find the man who wants to kill Will McAvoy. <laughs> I have not seen The Expendables 2 yet. I did see The Expendables, the first one, pretty recently, though. So maybe maybe somehow it all links together. One one thing I want to bring up is that there, there really wasn't any mention of the whole Leona Reese scandal this episode. You know, last week... Uh, Leona implied that if the show dropped one more ratings point, Will could very be much uh, joining us on this show, hosting a podcast. But that didn't really get brought up again this episode. Did you miss that at all? Did, did you want there to be another twist in that story? Well, I think it's unfair because chronology-wise, when you're thinking about it, we're, we're seeing it as it's another week of the newsroom episode, which we've always seen as time jumps in being it could be a week, it could be a day, it could be 10 months, it could be a year. Um, but we're really just two seconds right after we left the last episode. So to imagine that there would be a massive resolution to that plotline, 
it's kind of it's kind of harsh. Um, and also they did kind of bring up something in the in the sake that in the vein that they were discussing um, my my friend Deep Throat, um, and about how he might not be that credible. So it might not be that big a story, a big a thr- a plot line of Leona Lansing and the and the hacking. right. That's true. Um, they they did sort of bring up the idea that maybe it won't be as easy to sort of nail Reese as it was implied. And and you're right that chronologically speaking, it does kind of make sense that there wouldn't be any major twists or reveals in this in this episode. Um, there it's pretty obvious that they have to save those for the season finale um i think it will be interesting to see if this decision to go back to the traditional newsnight 2.0 mission and to report on the debt ceiling and report on stories that the team feels need to be reported on and, and you know focus pr- prioritizing news over entertainment it will be interesting to see if that does result in another ratings drop or if they will be able to keep the viewers that had left. Well, I guess we'll have to see next week how that all turns out. Let's talk about the mock debate because that was the main the the, the main thrust of this week's episode um, was the mock debate and how it all went down. What did you think of how it was handled by the show? Did you think that it was a fair presentation? Did you think it was realistic to expect a debate to be handled in that way? Did you think it was Sorkin just kind of preaching to the left? Was it heavy-handed? What what did you think of the mock debate? Well, the mock debate, while ridiculously utopian, it it fits perfectly into the realm of the newsroom, the the show which is about a news utopia where he wants this kind of news to actually exist, this kind of presentation. And it's also kind of strange that it happens to come up in the the couple of episodes where for the first time since we've started this 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 um campaign to civilize the show itself, Newsnight 2.0, has taken its own dive. It's taken its own, its own um, l- dropping of morals just for the sake of trying to get this one thing. And it's only first time that they've wanted this one thing that it's refused of them. They aren't able to get it. And it's because it's the utopian thing. He even he even gets his his long lost friend I can't remember his character name right now um, to come in so that he has uh, someone to align himself with someone who can hopefully champion his his debate his strong arm debate with and he can't get it because everyone knows that while this is the utopia that we all yearn for there is a reality outside and that's not really going to work because I have to pay my child's um, college tuition for the next four years and I'm going to be dead broke if I lose my job because I put my candidate up there for you to rip them to shreds or in a better vein, put the truth out there. It it fits perfectly and I liked it in that vein. I did also like the fact that Jim was a woman. <laughs> well, Or was it Don? I can't remember. I think it was Jim. But I'm not sure. Also, Sloane telling the guy to go fuck himself. That's hilarious. Yeah, um, I did kind of like, again, it was one of those inspirational moments where the news team kind of pulled together and gave the finger 
to the these RNC guys. I think that there there could be some viewers out there who take the side of of the one RNC agent who is basically like this is unacceptable, this isn't fair. You're making our candidates uh, out to be to idiots and hypocritical. Uh, this is too aggressive. But I I like how, as you mentioned, there is Will's friend, played by Adam Arkin, who ba- who basically say, says, no, this is exactly what the debate needs. This will help the political system. We need to be aggressive. We need to, to be tough on our potential presidential candidates. And maybe the candidates are idiots and shouldn't be in the race. <laughs> maybe they're not qualified. I, I think, again, by having Will McAvoy be a moderate Republican, Sorkin has shielded himself successfully, I think, from a lot of the criticism that could come his way if, say, Will was a Democrat or was inherently a more liberal person. Uh, but, I mean, he even he, he repeatedly says in this episode that he's a Republican, he's, he's pro-life, he's pretty conservative about a lot of issues— and I, 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 I thought that the show was fairly balanced overall. I think, I think one of my favorite moments to deal with that mock debate is, I can't remember if it's the, one of the, the guy who isn't for the debate or if it's actually one of the mock questions in the debate. But there's one point where someone says, this isn't about me, it's about you. Why, why are we answering these questions? And, he sa- and his response is something to the vein of, look, I didn't ask you to, nom- to, to go and run for president. I'm here asking the questions because you decided to put yourself in that position. Now please answer my question. Right. Which completely pushes the, pushes the point that this is why the debate needs to happen. It's not a question of me wanting to point out every idiot in the world. There are a lot of idiots if we want to point fingers. I'm pretty sure one of those fingers would probably be pointed at me one of those days. But the point is, you decided to put yourself in the spotlight, so now you have to take... Right. And I liked how, at the end of the episode, Sorkin does show us uh, a clip of the debate that actually happened, where candidates were asked, what was it, like, which do you prefer, Elvis or... Oh, I can't remember. B- b- basically, candidates were asked... Re- I'm, I'm guessing you're an Elvis guy. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but yeah, candidates were asked pretty dumb questions. And I remember watching that debate when it aired and being very, very upset at the kinds of questions that were asked the candidates um, and, and what the candidates were allowed to get away with. Um, so I do, to a certain extent feel that Sorkin was was right to point out that most of the time these political debates are pretty worthless you know they're not very aggressive they're mainly played more for entertainment and ratings rather than to educate the public or really drill the the candidates and I I think that Sorkin was right to focus on that issue I did think that this was one of the more interesting subplots of the show even if ultimately it was pretty obvious that awn would would not end up getting the debate because that didn't happen in real life yeah more than likely but it was still kick-ass yeah yeah i i i, I liked it and it did provide some pretty good moments of, of comedy um one thing i was wondering 
was this whole idea of a mock debate. Uh, that's something that has showed up in the West Wing uh, when the president is getting ready for certain debates, and, and, and he and his staff will often uh, have to practice before the debate. Um, but this is a situation in which a news organization is basically acting and performing and presenting a debate as they would like to see it. And I'm not sure how believable that is. Uh, it seems pretty fantastic to me. I, I, I will say I did find myself thinking, why can't they just write up a proposal on their rules and give it to the RNC guys? Why can't they just explain it to them in a meeting? And the answer, of course, is that it makes for better TV if it's acted out and it makes for better drama. But, it, it, you know, it does feel a, a little bit over the top. I also, I also do feel generally that while the, the proposal would have been more, more realistic and more formal and all of these things, I do feel like the presentation of it does kind of help the sale. Because if you read that in a proposal, you would have stopped, that RNC would have stopped reading three lines in. The presentation at least gives him a chance to actually force his brain to think about it honestly and think while this does seem bully like it is presenting a certain view of my candidate and if he can manage to stand up to this it'll prove even without even further that this is a way that we should be going and by that i mean the, my candidate you could argue that it could help to sell the idea but you could also argue that it hurt the selling of the idea. Because again, in this case, uh, the, the, the RNC um, representatives actually got to see Will really going after the candidates and being very, very aggressive and got to see the, the full extent of what allowing the, the this change would mean. And of course, one of them was very, very turned off by it. Is it possible that if he had just read in a proposal, oh, you know, we will allow for follow-up questions and basically leave it up to the news anchor, you know, what to ask, that he would have been more accepting of it? I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I say the presentation was better. Not just not just for television, but because it, it was better. Okay, okay. I'm going to stay there. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's talk about the quote-unquote relationship crap. And let's kind of make that the main topic for tonight. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Before, before we get there, we need to discuss the fact that apparently um, abortion and murder are the same. Can we talk about that? Sure. Is there a specific uh, scene or moment that, that you're thinking of? Um, so I'm referring to the scene where Lisa is on the news, on Newsnight 2.0. She has been discovered to be a so-called called former friend or former acquaintance of Casey Anthony. Um, and she comes on Newsnight for no purpose other than for the ratings boost. And they come up with this brilliant idea that once they can promote the fact that they have an exclusive connection to Casey Anthony, they don't need to have her say anything about Casey Anthony. So they just have her say some real things. But she ends up going completely off script, I can imagine, based on the reaction from um, Maggie and Mackenzie in the in the control room. 
um, when she goes off and talks about, and I quote, forcing a child to be born to a mother um, and how horrible that can be and how stupid. I, I know that it's it's naive of me to say something so simple as anything a character in a show says is basically what the writer really agrees with or really believes. I, I, I don't believe that. I'm not that stupid. I'm not saying Aaron Sorkin um, says that a child chooses to be born because a child doesn't choose shit. The child just comes, right? And uh, and to to also be very blunt before anyone gets on that bandwagon... I am very pro-choice. I'm very, I'm very in the belief of it's your choice what you do at that point. It's, it's up to you. So while I'm not gonna go into, I'm not gonna say personally the abortion v murder thing. I do think it's insane the way he presented it in this episode. It was almost laughable. It's, it's willing of a Sarah Palin. Clip. I, I, I mean, I think it's clear from Will and McKenzie's reaction that they don't really agree with what she's saying. And it, it's not necessarily that what she's saying is, 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 is wrong. She's basically saying it's important to, to take into consideration the fact that there are many single mothers out there, there are many women out there who are discouraged from getting abortions, even though, honestly, they, it might be best if they did not raise a child. Maybe they have mental health issues. Maybe economically they're not ready. For whatever reason, they just aren't ready to have a child. And that is, I think, a fair point in the abortion debate. And that's why abortion exists, not the gun. Well, well right. The, 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 I think the reason Mackenzie and Will were kind of taken aback is that her remarks could have been interpreted as implying that, you know, it was because Casey Anthony didn't get an abortion that she ended up murdering her kids, basically. So that is definitely taking it a bit far. So I... I, I think I think it went even a step further to attempt to justify the murder. Well, I think that's within the context of the show. That's what Will and Mackenzie well, were... Yeah, within the context of the show. I'm I'm not saying anyone wants to say that or right. believe that. They were that. concerned that that's how the remarks could be interpreted, which is fair enough. The remarks could, pro- could potentially be interpreted in that way, even though I think it's very obvious that that is not what Lisa was implying, and that's not what she, she, she was trying to say. She was just trying to draw attention to this other idea and this larger issue, not imply that there was a direct correlation. I guess it definitely brings us back to when we first met Lisa and she was intimidated by Jim because she said something to the effect of, I think I'm too stupid. Well, see, I don't even, I wouldn't call Lisa a stupid character. I think Lisa as a character is very bright. um, And I don't think anything she was saying was particularly stupid. And I don't think her intentions were wrong. I think it's just the way she phrased things. No, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not calling her stupid. I'm saying that even when she said it at the beginning, when when we were introduced to her, it wasn't so much about her intellect. It was about um her her presentation, and especially when it comes to in those situations where she she's in the room with this this person who is considered the intellect in the room. Right. And we're gonna talk. And that would be Will McAvoy in this case, where she f- she she obviously feels like she needs to 
almost outshine Will McAvoy in this in this scene, and it ends up coming back on her face because of right. I actually thought that, that was a very interesting moment in in the show, and I actually really like how they've developed Lisa overall as a character. I think an argument could be made that Lisa is a much stronger female character than Maggie and Mackenzie, and even a, a much smarter character than Maggie and a much more mature character than Maggie. Um, but she doesn't call Jim a nerd when he makes Star Trek references. <laughs> I, I, I think that she's a very likable character, and part of me is, is happy that Jim is still going to go out with her, though, though, of course, he might not want to, which perhaps is a good segue into what you mentioned earlier, the quote-unquote relationship crap and how that was developed in this episode. I gotta be honest, I kind of liked how things went down in this episode, and I know, I, I know I'm in the minority here, and critics have really hated this episode overall, but I kind of liked the, the different twists that came up in, in the whole love triangle. Um, what did you think? Um, do you, all right, before you get to me, do you think next week Jim and Maggie are going to bang? No. Um, you, you know, it's weird because there is a part of me that wants Jim and Maggie to just get together and get it out of the way so we don't have to deal with this uncertainty um, and, and all of this drama anymore. There is also another part of me that wants them to never get together just because that would be more realistic and I think more interesting. I have a feeling that Sorkin is going to take the traditional way out, which is to keep them apart for as long as possible um, and then bring them together at the very end. He's done it in some of his other shows. That's probably what he's going to continue to do here. Ultimately, I, I kind of I, I think that that is um, a very safe way to go, and I wish that he would choose differently. But if I had to guess, I'd say that's probably what's going to happen. So you're say, so you're saying season seven ish? Yeah, probably. You know, se- se- series okay. finale. Uh, Jim and Maggie will finally get together. That being said, even though. Obviously, this this whole thing with Lisa isn't going to last forever. I, I have a feeling. I do kind of like that that now there's kind of this gray area where Jim didn't want to date Lisa, but then he decided he did. And then in this episode, he decided he didn't want to date her again and was going to go talk to Maggie, we can assume. And now he's sort of been forced back into that relationship with Lisa yet again. I, I, I do find that fairly compelling and pretty interesting. And to some extent, I do think that that is how real relationships work at times, where you might not be able to wind up with the person you want, but someone else comes along, so you go with them, and then maybe your feelings change. And you know, you know sometimes that can get messy. So I do think that there is room for some interesting melodrama to take place here. But I, I I don't know. What about you? Um, I guess I kind of took it. I didn't really go too much into the relationship bit of the last few minutes because 
it seemed kind of weird to me. I, mostly, I was more interested in the, the final moments of what it seems to finally be the Don and Maggie relationship as um, Don apparently got flowers from another girl, which is reprehensible. Um, but I've always said that it's so obvious that Don is not good for Maggie and Don is just using her and taking advantage of her. And while there are moments where it doesn't look so obvious, it's it's clear that in the grand scheme of things, that was never going to work okay. out. Let, 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 let me play devil's advocate here for just one second, because, you know, it's easy to say, oh, we've, we've known from the very beginning that Don and Maggie wouldn't work out. I don't think that's true. I think the reason it's easy to say that is because in the pilot episode, Don said that he didn't want to meet Maggie's parents. And by nature, he's a very kind of rude, douchey guy, just in terms of his attitude and his personality. It has nothing to do with his attitude as much as it has to do with the fact that every time we see them in the same room it's become plainly obvious that he has to assert himself as being over her in almost every regard. I think to some extent that is true, but I also don't think that that means he doesn't love her or have very strong feelings for her. And I think just because that relationship maybe is a bit colder than some other ones we've seen doesn't mean that there isn't real love there. I think for the past few episodes, we've seen that Don really, really does care about Maggie quite a lot and just can't shut up about her and is kind of obsessed and infatuated with her. Now, whether that's the, that's always been the case or whether that just became the case once he realized he might have to compete with Jim over her affections, that's, that, that's debatable. Um, but, but I do think that from what we've seen of Don, he does care about her a lot. And that's why I kind of really didn't buy the, the the whole twist in this episode where he was getting flowers from someone else. First of all, they didn't say who this person was or when he was with her. How long has it been since he and Maggie last broke up? Has it been a week? Has it been three months? You know, what what is exactly is the context here for him getting these flowers? That isn't very clear. And it's also not clear exactly how long he and Maggie stay apart each time they break up. So I kind of thought that that twist wasn't developed very well at all. And it was kind of rushed, and it was basically just a plot device so that Maggie and Don can have some more drama. What do you think of that revelation that Don has been seeing other women in the, during the periods in which he hasn't seen Maggie? I didn't find it that surprising. I mean, honestly, I don't give a crap because I've just been waiting for this day for Maggie to be, you know, there and and ready now to get now to get Jim because I need more. I need more Star Trek jokes. Okay, I, I kind of liked the development that cropped up with, between Jim and Lisa, um, but I really didn't like how they sucked this thing in with Dawn to make things more difficult for Maggie. It seemed pretty forced to me overall but i guess we'll have to see next week how it all works out ideally andrew how would you want this all to resolve itself will banging mckenzie charlie skinner getting with leona lansing oh wait no we're not talking about 
the bold and the beautiful. Um, I want for the newsroom to... I, I, I don't even know how I want this to be resolved. Because when you think about it, it, it's kind of the question I came to a few weeks back when we had Will Bibiani on the show. And I was asking, what would serve as a win for the newsroom? And what would? What, they not get cancelled? None of them get fired? Um, they they get another news story, quote-unquote, right? What would serve as a resolution to this show, Andrew? My prediction for the for the finale would be that uh, this situation with Leona is going to be somewhat resolved, uh, but not entirely resolved because obviously there has to be some suspense left over for season two. But 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 I, I mainly mean in terms of this relationship triangle. How how are you hoping that it eventually is resolved? Um. Well, how I hope it to be resolved is with a longing look from Jim to Maggie saying, yep, this is going to happen next season. But how I expect it to be resolved is Maggie to just be complacent in the fact that Jim is happy and she's not with Don anymore. So you think that Maggie will spend season two alone? Uh, For the most part, or possibly enjoying a bachelorette lifestyle. I don't know. <laughs> she could she, be the she, new Will McAvoy with a rotating door of men walking by Jim. She's going to break up with Dawn and then just turn into the, the biggest slut in the news. No, room. we don't use that word. We, we If we can't say bad things about Will, we can't say she's a slut. <laughs> That's We're true. We're not sexist on this show. We're not Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> she's just enjoying her youth. Yes, that's a good way to put it. She is enjoying her youth. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say about this episode of The Newsroom before the finale next week? Um, it's been a great two months. I mean, we've had our complaints, but honestly, I wouldn't take it back. And bombshell after bombshell, Will has always been there for us. It has been an interesting season so far. It'll, it'll, it'll be intriguing to see how it all turns out in the end um andrew is there anything you would like to say about this episode of the newsroom before we wrap things up um thank you for Mackenzie crying like a little girl because that's all we need oh that character is such a mess i really don't know what to make but she's like your best friend mess that you love so much because she is a mess and we all just get it she doesn't have to pretend to be not messy anymore. I think her character would make a lot more sense if she wasn't supposedly like the best EP in the world. You know, they, look, it's it's like I tell people all the while, everyone is a nerd in their own way, right? She is probably she is the best EP in the in the in the business. Once she's out of that booth, oh my goodness, is she one of the worst characters in the world? Yeah. Let me let me ask you, what did you think of the whole Brian Brenner subplot and how that was developed this episode? Um, it was very light this episode. I mean, uh, there wasn't really much there. What was there this week? He just stood around and then they didn't get the debate. They went, fuck it, we'll go and do proper news. And he shouted across the room, just write the fucking truth. And that's the end of the the thing. We'll probably see more of it next week with the article actually coming out. He did uh, confront McKinsey, and they did have 
quite a, a lengthy conversation about whether or not he should be there and how his presence was affecting her and and all of that. And I, I you know, I, I kind of found that it's not as quite as interesting as the other stuff, but I think it could have been handled a lot worse. Um, I kind of, I, I find the Brian character interesting in that he feels like he is the victim in many ways. You know, he, he feels like Mackenzie cheated on him with Will, and now Will is trying to manipulate him to write his story a certain way. So I, I, I do think that that is an interesting development. It seems like everybody in this show, or at least the, the, the three main I guess you could, you could say that many of the adults in this show actually feel like they are a victim in one way or another. Yeah, but that's generally life regardless. Everyone feels like they're the victim? Everyone doesn't want to take blame. I guess so. Except for Mackenzie, who just is a masochist and just keeps beating herself up about everything and has no self-esteem at all. But that's why we love her, as I said. Just just keep her the way she is. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this week's episode of Navigating the Newsroom. As Andrew mentioned, you can write us a review on iTunes. You can also comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com or email us at navigatingnewsroom at filmgeekradio.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Uh, don't forget you can subscribe to other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix and The Thin Place, uh, um, I am also going to be writing some film reviews and features that, that will be published on the website fairly frequently in the future, so be on the lookout for that. Andrew, where can people find you online? Um, they can find all of my writing over at gmanreviews.com. I'm on Twitter, at gmanreviews. Um, you can hear my other podcast, The Unnamed Movie Podcast, or TUMP, as we more like to call it. Um, you can find it on iTunes, The Podcast Alley, or even on gmanreviews.com. Um, we generally just talk about film, and we make fun of each other for an hour to two hours, depending on how long we record each week. Um, come and listen to it. If you enjoy me mocking Andrew each week, you'll enjoy other people mocking me each week over on my podcast. That sounds like a lot of fun. I think I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> you sold me. <laughs> All right. Well, people can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writer. Andrew, if you do follow me on Twitter, please send me a message and let me know that you're a listener and I will be sure to follow you back. You can also find some more of my writing at filmgeekradio.com and thekuleshoveffect.com. All right, Andrew, sign us off. I'm going to take a cue from one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And on that bombshell, good night. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.